0: All right, so let's start it up let's fire up the coffee session this is engineering labs recap take two or with team three <laughs> very we had some very original names i know we didn't spend much time naming ourselves in this it was just team one team two team three team four and team three is the second team team that made it out alive, they were able to come out the other side of the engineering labs with something to show for it. So we're sitting down today talking to them about what exactly they did and how the process was for them. The first thing that we should probably do is figure out who is team three? Who are you all and what are your backgrounds? So Laszlo, you are first on my screen. I'd love it if you give us a little bit of info about yourself for those five people that aren't already in the community Slack and haven't seen you on a thread. Feel free to tell us, who are you, man?
1: Uh, Hi, so my background is in finance. I used to be a quant researcher. Um, I worked on the company that makes Candy Crush, so King Digital as a data scientist. And the last four years, I was head of data science at a London startup. That works with um, investment banks um, in market intelligence research, or so news processing, NLP. And the last year, I run my own consulting company, uh, which specializes in uh, machine learning product management, which is the management side of the machine learning um, process.
0: Perfect. Sweet, man. The claim to fame is the candy crush. So <laughs> we've got Yardam on the next screen. Who are you, man? Give us a little information and background about yourself.
2: Yeah, hi all. Um, my name is Artem, the Y letter is from my surname. Uh, so um, I'm an uh, uh, MLOps engineer in uh, company uh, Neuro. Uh, and I'm, well, actually my, my MLOps experience started when, Around those days when the MLops community was commenced. Um, so before that, I was just a software engineer uh, working on the ML platform, which I think many of of us were uh, in in the past. So um, I knew before before the labs. I knew what the ML flow and what PyTorch are. Uh, I didn't have like hands-on experience. So um, I kind of had some some uh, big big view picture on how it's supposed to to be used, and um, yeah, so I was curious about everything about uh, machine learning, about uh, development, and about infrastructure and everything. So uh, it appeared to be that uh, the most interesting part for me, like the the, the part that didn't that no one took, was the infrastructure. So. Uh, during these labs, I learned Kubernetes and it was awesome. And I love this experience. So nice. um, yeah, yeah, that's it.
0: Well, this is probably a good moment to mention in case there's someone that is listening that hasn't been following along with this whole engineering labs initiative. What we did is we threw these guys off the deep end. We told them, go out and swim, learn how to swim there's sharks in the water. There is no safety net. You get to choose your own adventure. The only constraints that they had were that they have to use a combination of MLflow and PyTorch, right? So those were the two things that they had to do, but everything else was open. Everything else, they could choose what they wanted to do. So Uh, If you looked at the last group, engineering labs, number one, team one, they chose NLP models and soon we'll figure out what these guys chose. But first, let's get a little introduction from Dimi, who shares my same name. We are (laughs) brothers of different mothers, Dimi, aka Demetrius.
3: Exactly, but with an uh, I instead of an E, but yeah, yeah. so I'm Demetrius, shortcut, I just go by Dimi. Um, I'm from Greece. Um, I live in Germany, a background is mathematics. Um, I work at KPMG mostly on data science and BI related topics where we just bring data science and machine learning into production. Um, so focuses on operationalization of machine learning and data science and architecture in general. Um, and how do I come here? Well, even though we are working mostly with major cloud providers for that past, one and a half, or no, one and a half half year. I've been doing some research into workflow and technology stack options to facilitate the whole process. So um, I came across some of your uh, YouTube videos, so coffee sessions, and then I joined the Slack. And yeah,
0: this never is looked back. How
3: I ended up here.
0: Yep. Wait. So you are. You said you are working mainly with major cloud providers. Does that mean that you're using solely their Tools? Yeah, mostly.
3: I I usually work with SAP, Azure, AWS, and things like that. Uh, whatever clients are using, but yeah.
0: And that, but and so it's like fully their tools, everything. So you're not exactly. getting, you're not getting to go and shop around and see what the best in breed is. You just yeah, get, we do. <laughs> oh, you do. We do. Yeah, but this okay. is why
3: um, I kind of started looking into those open source world options as well, to uh-huh. um, facilitate the whole process, basically
0: okay cool so the last on the list last but not least we've got paulo follow paulo what's happening man hey guys so my name is
4: paulo i'm a data scientist at nilgai a consulting company here in porto portugal that is now worldwide during the due to the pandemic And I graduated in in biomedical engineering in the Faculty of Engineering of Porto like one and a half years ago in July, 2019. And then I started working in consulting, but I've been focusing mostly on the data science part. So training machine learning, but lately some of our projects uh, have had a a component where I need to to actually help the clients deploy them and make it work in production. So I started learning some some more things about MLOps and I found the community by a, a co-worker which participated in the engineering labs, but didn't finish. <laughs> I don't know why. She was part of one of the other teams. And uh, well, when, when she she mentioned that this was going to happen, I immediately joined because I wanted to, to learn some more things about MLOps and specifically MLflow and PyTorch since I mostly focused on Keras and TensorFlow in the past.
0: Oh, nice. Okay. So for a little bit of a roundup here, we've got Demi, who's working pretty heavily in the MLOps section. Artem's coming, or Artem, sorry, I keep pronouncing the Y because it says it right there on the screen. But Artem's coming from software engineering background. I think a lot of people can relate to that and then getting into the ML section laszlo's just the jack of all trades and everyone who is in the community knows that but paulo you were coming from this heavily machine learning background and then making the jump to the ops kind of just saying okay i need to operationalize this i'd love to hear just the basic of what you guys decided on and maybe paulo you can give us what was it that you said because and later we'll get into the process because i saw you have an awesome process i watched the slack channel as you developed how you decided what you wanted to work on but can you just give us an idea of what you came out with
4: okay so our, our initial idea actually went went a bit down the water we we spent a lot of time planning and choosing a data set and then we ended up choosing uh, a slightly different data set due, due to the content of, of the first one. But in the end, I think we, we came up with a, a decent product. So it was uh, also an NLP approach. We, we use um, a data set that is typically used for benchmarks. That is the Yelp polarity review data set, where you have an associated score from zero to five or one to five, I'm not sure, for r- restaurant reviews. And what we we did was try to classify the review score whether it was positive, uh, meaning uh, larger or equal than three stars, or negative. And our our model was was then deployed using a, a dashboard created created on Streamlit, where the user can can just input a review, the model uh, uses that text for, for doing a prediction. And then what we display to the user is whether the the model agrees with what the user thinks the review is. So the user can input, I think my review is positive or I think my review is negative. And we just save the stats regarding that interaction. And for for the backend part, Artem is a lot more specialized to talk about what's what's making it run.
0: Yeah, let's hear that.
2: Yeah, so uh, about the backend side, uh the stream lead was the facade of of this all uh let's say system uh jimmy thanks a lot it i know it's it takes just 50 lines of code but it's like pure engineering to to make a cool web ui in just a few lines uh yeah so this basically i think like having this facade at this at the very beginning uh meant that we had the direction of what we want to achieve and after this uh we were starting to expand the the back end so at the back end the the there are um, a few components uh which were uh, the model serving it's just a rest api um unfortunately we couldn't uh couldn't Make uh, MLflow's model serving work, uh, and for some reason we didn't even try to make surf work. Uh, so we just thought, ah, it's just it's just a tiny microservice. I can write write it down. So we implemented it with, and um, yeah, the idea to um, to provide the feedback for the model and store it somewhere to get the statistics of of the predictions. Uh, was a kind of implemented in the uh, model proxy server it's like the kind of the proxy that looks outside of the world and um, like collects this information talking to the to the model through rest api uh, inside the cluster and uh, also we implemented a, a small service that um, we call it a uh, model operator it's the service that synchronizes the state of MLflow and the model that is actually deployed. So it's kind of, uh, I'm thinking about it as of GitOps for MLflow. I'm not sure, like I was surprised that there there was nothing um, on on the market, nothing uh, on GitHub like this. Maybe it's like a bad practice. So it's interesting to talk about it. But uh, the idea was that uh, you have this uh, model registry in uh, MLflow, you have this, all the metrics, all the models listed, and you can say that like, okay, I deployed this model. Uh, I want this model to be deployed instead of the other one. And you just put the tag like this, change the production tag for for the model. And the synchronizer, this model operator microservice that it constantly pulls the state of uh, MLflow servers, server, mm-hmm. and uh, once it sees that this, the model has changed it, uh, it automatically redeploys in, in Kubernetes cluster, uh, the model.
0: So- Why do you think that kind of, could yeah. be a bad practice? And for those who want to play around with it, it is on GitHub now, right? We have that yes. on our GitHub, yes. which we'll link below. So now, if that ever happens again and there is an artem that is looking for it your future self you can go and and check this out but do you feel like that is bad practice i don't see why that would be maybe somebody else has a an idea of why that would be but it feels like that that's perfect for the job
2: uh yeah like um so like let me answer this quickly. For the, the for the demo, it works perfectly. You it's like very uh visual and very interactive. But for for the real use case, I would I would not th- say that uh having model registry being the central component that um triggers the other pipelines is like the best idea. What what the other team did uh having the Git uh registry at the center uh and which triggers the i don't know data pipelines model pipelines maybe it's kind of more reasonable because we work with code we don't work with models
0: yeah um yeah yeah that makes sense so it's in the wrong place the triggers in the wrong place kind of thing so you mentioned beforehand that dme did all of the engineering work on streamlit and it was the 50 lines of code that were hard to do. Can you walk us through that a little bit, Dimi? Yes, of course.
3: So it wasn't hard to do. It's literally, um, when I was looking through the tasks that we had on the GitHub repo, um, there was kind of a baseline or something already from uh, from uh, Artem and uh, Paolo did a lot of work there too. And I saw that um, the whole front end wasn't developed yet. So from a workflow point of view, um, i literally knew artem is going to eventually provide some kind of he's going to deploy the model somehow and he's going to provide me with some kind of api which is basically then uh, enables a um, decoupled architecture so um so the separation of front end and uh, back end is easier and um this way you know you get all these benefits of allowing multiple users to use the same api and at the same time without interferences and stuff like that but um, so I just literally just created a streamlit um, with some. I, I usually don't really do front end stuff, but I just like googled quick streamlit and I wanted to try it out. So um, yeah, and just built up the application that just uses the the input of the user, how Paulo described already, and um, then uses the API and returns the prediction. And around that, we built some kind of user experience, where as Paulo has mentioned as well. Um, you can um, basically, as a user, write in your prediction if it's going to be positive or negative, the review, and it's going to return you kind of a statistics about that.
0: Mm. That's awesome. So now let's get into Laszlo's territory a little bit and the whole managerial side of things and the process. I'm really curious to know about the process of you all choosing one thing and then having to pivot and why that happened how that happened and the process of of going through that what was that like and how did you manage it
1: um yeah so usually these uh, volunteer based uh, teams are you know from a management perspective it's a bit different because clearly you know in a in a commercial setting the manager has a an authority over 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 what's getting done and the ownership um uh, of the problem and this was kind of missing here uh, but it was still useful because uh, you know my personal goal was to understand of um how to motivate a team to move in a more mlops way of doing machine learning what kind of skills do you need you know how quickly you can pick it up and what kind of problems do you have um, so, getting back to the the point of selecting the problem, um, I think there was a list of candidate problems what we wanted to choose from, um, and um, you know we are conversing on Slack about this, basically about plain, you know the names of the problems. It's very hard to make a decision, and I think. Uh, um, Usually, uh, when you have a commercial problem, you have a much more insights into the into the problem. And I think we picked the um, I think biased language or something in this topic. Uh, but and I think we decided on it. And I downloaded the data set and started reading it. And then it was like four letter words, you know, in every line. And I'm I said I'm not gonna read four-letter words, <laughs> you know, a couple of weeks from now on. And then I raised to the, uh, the other guys on the Slack channel to, you know, guys, maybe we should pick another one because we don't want to, you know, work on something which we feel uncomfortable with, uh, even if our intentions are good. Mm-hmm. And then we picked this Yelp uh, data set, and I think we selected it partly because it's an NLP problem, and it is large enough that the date, amount of data what we dealt with is not trivial. So it means that this war on this level of um, you know engineering and infrastructure, you can't just solve this problem in scikit-learn and um, uh, get on with it.
0: Perfect. Great insights there. I mean, it's such a different mode of acting when you're doing this all on your volunteer time or your free time, right? There is a lot to be said about this. I mean, you all had a lot of drive and determination to get this done and so i kind of got a sense of what everyone was looking to get out of this i mean it seems like laszlo you you said it nicely about okay i i want to see how to how the process looks how you can enable teams to act in a mlops way and how long does it take to p- get people up to speed? How long does it take to actually do something? Then for Artem, I, I saw it's like you wanted to figure out a little bit of, of this backend. Is that what I am understanding from you? You wanted to get more of that and play around. Dimi, I'm not so sure. What were your biggest things that you wanted to take out of this?
3: Um, I, I had played previously with MLflow already around. Um, and I knew what it's good for and what's not, so uh, I kind of wanted to see how, or which um, path we're gonna take architecture-wise from an architecture-wise perspective. Um, and I still remember how um, Artem and I um, were just uh, just collaborating upon that, and I tried to explain how you know you, we could do this very MLflow-centric or just use MLflow just for tracking and maybe registering the uh, the model but not more um but then we did the whole ml flow centric way with and put on top all the fancy kubernetes things from artem and (laughs) made our lives very complicated but um, that was kind of my motivation here to um see um especially if we had a little bit more time what we would build on top um of that Mm -hmm. and um for example to monitor things or um
0: yeah, things like that. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good point. Uh, what would you have built on top? Like to monitor, would you have slapped on some Prometheus and Grafana? Or what were your thoughts on it, on how to flesh this out? Because this is really like not the whole piece of the puzzle, right? This is mm-hmm. just, us, or this is a small piece of the puzzle, I should say. And it doesn't get you all the way there. However, it does get you a nice start. So mm. what are some other, and anyone can jump in too, but Demi, maybe you can start and let us know what else did you want to throw on top of this?
3: I mean, first, I um, this, that was also with Artem. I I tried to, um, you know, because, I mean, MLflow is trying to be, you know, the kitchen sink coming kind off an end-to-end solution. So I was like, all right, let's try to um, monitor or whatever the, uh, the incoming data that comes from the user, right? So like it would come in and then... Uh, you would somehow track um, the distribution or whatever it is from um, the users. And um, then I realized that with MLflow, um, you know, the tracking that you use there, the backend works on um, any SQL Alchemy and I think the front, uh, the um, art, artifact store on whatever object stores you want. But um, I realized that when you try to um, use some real time, um, results or give them back to the user, the um, the way it gets the data out, it's uh, very um, manual. So it goes like, even though the, the metrics are saved in a database, in the end of the day, they get, um, it goes through through it by rows, just programmatically by Python or R or whatever you use, which I didn't like in the end, but I was just trying it out. Um, so yeah, that's from my side. Of course, I would add other monitor tools on top, but since we didn't implement any retraining or anything like that yet, um, there wasn't really um, any reason, let's say, to build things like that
0: yet. Well, that is a great point. And the retraining, I guess, would be another step in the future, right? What are some other things? Maybe, uh, Paolo, you have an idea of where this would have gone if you stuck at it for another six Mm -hmm. weeks or eight weeks?
4: Yeah, we we could do some of the retraining with the the user feedback we got. So since we're storing the predictions the user thinks are correct and the the actual model predictions, we can just have a feedback loop for redeploying the model and checking at which point the the predictions are, are getting a lot worse. But the user can also play around a lot with this since the, the feedback is is explicit and, and uh, people can just do multiple answers with the way we have things now. Mm-hmm. We we could make this a bit more more robust. And I think it will also be interesting to add some explainability tools. So the, the model we used is is quite simple but we can have more complex models that tell the user why the model thinks their prediction is positive or negative.
0: Yeah, that's a huge one. Uh, and it, it is super important to let people in on the all the <laughs> fun and let them know why. There's, I see Laszlo looks like he has another thing that he wants to say about where you would take this next.
1: I'm I'm not sure whether purely for the sake of it we should add uh, more components to this. I I think the most important thing what we do is um uh, we already do is to save the 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 input output responses and the model version into a separate database and uh, you know in a in a uh, like let's say a startup setting when you have limited amount of resources that would be the main source for uh, analyzing the performance because you know this is a relatively low churn model so it means that you know unless you have like really millions of users you know you're not going to collect enough data to retrain the model purely on the basis of the, of the of the of the user data so this is always important to keep in mind you know it's uh, every component what you add in an MLOP system it has a maintenance cost and an infrastructure cost and an implementation cost and uh, um, this adds up you know but <laughs> obviously this is a lab but uh, but in a, in a, in a real setting these are need to be taken care of
0: well i like that insight i like the wisdom of that like don't just add bells and whistles because you think it's going to make it better like really ask yourself if you need these bells and whistles and if they truly are going to add as much value as their the hassle that they're going to be so let's talk a little bit about what you all didn't like and some things that let's start with so we know uh, i'll set the ground uh, or i'll set the scene right now that we gave you not a lot of direction and that was probably our bad well not probably that was our bad we could have given you a lot more direction and we're going to improve that for the next labs we're going to give much more direction and hopefully have a have better guardrails set in place so that it's not so broad and you don't spend so much time trying to figure out just step one. But apart from that, let's talk about using MLflow and PyTorch. I mean, this is something that I know Yvonne was really excited for because it just came out. We wanted to see how it actually works and how it is in the wild. I mean, Dmate you said that you've been using ml flow before you also mentioned that it it is taking this approach of the kitchen sink like throwing everything oh yeah metric tracking we do that really well but you want to you want to serve the model we could do that too you want to monitor it yeah we got that don't worry anything you ask us it'll be there in the next release so i can understand that that probably leads to being a jack of all trades master of none kind of thing and i'd love to hear maybe Artem, you want to start us off on what was difficult with this process and it doesn't have to be on the ml flow side because i know that you were doing a lot of back end so just in kubernetes was there things that you were having trouble with because i know that's also not the easiest
2: yeah yeah so um we're not talking about the, like, self-organization and project management, or should I include it here?
0: <laughs> Let's like, hold off on that one.
2: All right. All right. So, like, uh, not talking about this, uh, I I would say that the most difficult part, which we, um, I unfortunately would not, could not um, implement at the end, was the, um the taking all the advantage of tracking models of uh, MLflow because uh, how it looked like, because of some difficult difficulties uh, that the servers we where we were training the model didn't have access to the other internet. So we couldn't um, access the MLflow server. So we started to do something. So all, with all these difficulties, um, the problem was that we first implemented the model then we froze the environment froze the code version froze the let's say metrics everything and then just put it to the to ml flow for for the demo purposes so i would love to see how it like brings the value you see
0: um so yeah basically you weren't able to take advantage fully of ml flow because of that
2: uh I think Paulo is more right person to answer this because he was uh, considering the and developing the model. But uh, from my perspective, this was kind of like secondary, and this was probably the mistake of, you know, where we started to implement in where we started to engineer all
0: this. Hmm. All right, talk us through that, Paolo. What happened?
4: Yeah, for for MLflow, we we were learning as we went developing. So our initial iteration was a, a very complex model, uh, an LSTM model and this, this just used some tutorials I, I found on the internet which had like a, a custom data loader for that, that already the, did some of the NLP tasks like tokenization and saving the vocabulary etc which is the, the hardest part of doing NLP in, in PyTorch and I spent a lot of time developing that model but I didn't integrate it right away with with MLflow, and at the end, when uh, when we're trying to to log the artifacts, we we noticed that the the model couldn't be pickled in in MLflow, probably because uh. of that custom data loader. But the error really wasn't wasn't easy to solve, so we we just swapped the model to use a simpler one, and and changed the the data source to to use the the built-in dataset in torch text instead of using a JSON file, which mm-hmm. is a a less realistic input as it's already pre-processed in the, the correct way.
0: Interesting. All right. Now talk me through some more stuff that wasn't the most ideal. Uh, I'm trying to remember what Team One was saying they were having problems with uh but I can't right now. Maybe in a minute it'll come to me, but Dimi, how were, how were things with you? What did you have to say? Did your, did it change your mind working on this? When, when you, what you thought about MLflow, I should say, did your mind get changed?
3: Um, no, it didn't. (laughs) So I still have kind of the same opinion about MLflow. I, um, I agree with Artem, it would have been nicer to have a, um, to have a, at least a tracking URI for developers hosted somewhere right away, like on Azure or something. Um, so we could all use that right away um, and see kind of the benefit of the tracking. But the tracking itself, um, being MLflow and having this PyTorch uh, integration now all new, um, was also a little bit tricky because I remember I did a little... Um, Baseline with just auto logging a model, I think a cycle sci- learn model or whatever. I forgot what. No, it was actually PyTorch or something. Yeah,
4: it was an um, dataset.
3: Or Emnist, yeah, with the data dataset. And of course it works, but um, then uh, just using PyTorch, it came with some limitations that uh, Paolo can tell. I think you couldn't use uh, everything you want, right?
4: No, it would only work for specific. Yeah, um, the, the first issue I had was with um, the ML yeah, yeah. Flow version because logging only came version, recently mm. and initially I had a, an older version installed so I couldn't even run your code. Mm. <laughs> but then when I fixed that, I had the other pickle issue.
0: Yeah. That was something that actually, now that you say that, team one was also talking about the dependencies and mm-hmm. I think they had a problem with uh, with Python the versions of Python that they were using maybe, Uh, or uh, not I can't remember exactly what it was that they were having trouble with, but I remember it was dependencies and yeah, it was. Yeah. So (laughs) I can understand that that is a tricky one. And I've heard people talk about that in meetups too, especially when you get, I mean, right now we're just working with MLflow, right? But when you start to add a few different tools on top of that, the managing dependencies part really becomes half the battle. And so, how do you make sure that you can manage all of these? Have you ever? Has anybody? This is just like a, a little bit of a tangent. But ha, does anyone have any good ways of doing that? I, I,
1: I can I can chime in in into this, but yeah. because. Um, Um, Our our company spent a lot of energy on on, on getting this right. And um, I mean, one thing is that try to avoid using notebooks as much as possible, because you have this tendency of installing anything Mm -hmm. onto your notebook server and then train a model and then send it to production. And then who who knows what's... um, So what we did is uh, we, we run everything in a Python script and we recreate the virtual environment from the Docker's, uh, uh, so from the from the repositories uh, requirements.txt, and if it doesn't work, you know, then then you can fix it and um, and and rerun it. But you know that the next person who downloads it into a new machine, and uh, and creates a new virtual environment, we're going to have the same virtual environment. Um, and pinning down the the versions is very important because you do get um, so scikit-learn are not compatible over different versions. Um, and you are just going to get errors which can trip um, unit tests. So um, th- this is very important. Like, like yeah. I, I, yeah, I think from the Slack channel you know that I don't like notebooks, but <laughs> <laughs> that, that's my bottom line. <laughs> I would just, I would just add
2: that uh, I'm not, I'm not, don't fully, fully agree with the notebooks. Uh, I still don't think if they are great or not, uh, if they're awful. But uh, I would just add that, uh, yes, scripts and environments. And um, I think this is, like, really important to base uh, both your training, like, development environment and inference environment from the same base image. Mm. Because, like, in in my company, we often get into troubles, even if having the same Docker file building on the same machine, uh, on the same, like, um, configuration uh, in one cluster in Azure, Azure. No, it, in AWS, it works. In Azure, it's uh, segmentation fault. And yeah. who knows what happened down there.
0: Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, completely.
2: Yeah, we could probably have used
4: like a GitHub runner or something like that to make the process more repl- replicable, mm. like running a Docker image with all the dependencies.
0: Oh, well, that's an interesting one to think about, too. So my next question is along the lines of other tools that you've used to do the same thing for those who have experience with it. How did this compare? And are you going to go out? I, I feel like Demi is going to say, hell no. But are you going to go out and be like, for your next project, hey, we should use MLflow uh did this convince you to have a deeper look into it or was it it something that you were like well i'm glad i played around with that so i know not to use it (laughs) and uh maybe laszlo you want to go first on that
1: um i yeah like we didn't use any kind of framework before and when we reached the point that we were already operational there was no point switching out of it so i kind of ignored everything like sage maker and ml flow and and but i think going forward in the future that's going to be inevitable that you are using one of these frameworks because mm. you know they are getting better uh, over time i think TensorBoard is getting better over time so you are kind of like moving towards this direction otherwise you are you know, losing out on a lot of convenience features. So I kind of understand that sooner or later you need to pick one. And especially if someone works as a consultant, you know, they don't really have choice. You know, they need to work with what the client um, suggests. So that, that's on one side. Um, the other side, I, I was reading Artem's code and uh, what I recognize is like for an average data scientist that creates models and does analysis you know, using Kubernetes is way too difficult. Like, you would really need, um, and I think we had a conversation, Artem, about this, is that there is so much detail there and so much domain knowledge on on understanding Kubernetes is that it requires a lot of skills that you're either a almost DevOps guy or a, um, and you don't have time for machine learning or, or, or business analysis, um, or it's very rarely used, so you need to spend most of your time on Stack Overflow and GitHub to figure out what's going on because you, you use it once a month and then and then some trouble happens. And these are neither very good skill goals or or tracks or paths. What you would like to do if you are a machine learning engineer who writes, by the way, you know good quality code, good quality pipeline code and stuff like that. But this is too specific for that. That was my b- biggest takeaway from, from this project.
0: Yeah, that's huge. And that's a huge debate that we have, right? All the time is how much Kubernetes or should a data scientist or a machine learning engineer know Kubernetes? And it feels like there, it's a little bit split. There's two camps, but Laszlo, you make a great argument for that. And my follow-up question to that probably is for you, Artem. Is how much Kubernetes should we know? Is it? Do you feel like now that you know it, are you going to be using it more often because it is so powerful and it is so useful? Do you see areas where you can incorporate that into your into your work or your day to day? Yeah, that's uh, that's the question that I was uh, waiting for um
2: first of all i cannot say that i'm i know kubernetes i, I think it's the same as c c plus plus no one knows it even straw so uh even the google engineers i'm sure don't know like all the you know uh subtle things working in different clouds and and um all this but uh yeah like uh first of all i love kubernetes because it gives you so much um, output for almost free so you just uh, you apply some configuration and voila you have the like deployment you apply some other configuration have you have the the uh, networking established you have and all this is static all this you just watch it so um like moving from this to the data scientists uh and kubernetes relationship i think that um like from my point of view kubernetes is the best thing that we we as engineering society could uh achieve in uh in uh, in this evolution of devops i'm not talking about ansible and other things i don't want to offense anyone <laughs> yeah but like comparing to uh you know to many other um uh and like static both static uh, configurationable like both declarative systems and imperative systems kubernetes is the most um like uh utilizable uh most uh useful uh, so uh i think yes i totally agree with laszlo that um that it's too complicated to even to engineers not to, Uh, not talking about the mathematicians and data scientists, but I think that all the tools, like the platforms, the true way to build uh, the platforms uh, that's supposed to be used by uh, mathematicians is something like restricted Kubernetes. It's like the more simplified, but still extensible uh, configuration Mm. so that you work with it with absolutely the same way you apply it, you use the same instruments, you use the same, you know, uh, there is huge ecosystem uh, of instruments around Kubernetes, yeah. all the package managers, all the some useful uh, stuff. So it should be something like smaller, but still the same, I think. Like
0: a uh, Kubernetes for dumb. No, for data scientists. <laughs> no offense. You do have
4: some alternative packages like Nomad, which I think are, are simpler from AshiCorp.
0: Um, yeah, good point.
4: Or Sorry. K3S is for lightweight
0: applications, I think.
2: I'll check it out, thank you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now we know. So the moving on to the other side. I mean, Dimi, I feel like I know your answer, but ML flow, are you gonna go out there and use it, suggest it to your next clients?
3: I I think it always depends, but I, I personally like it for just for the tracking part just because it kind of motivates data scientists kind of to track whatever they're doing. Sometimes, you know, a lot of data science or machine learning frameworks, they also provide you this like auto log or whatever. So you see R squared or whatever you have automatically. But it kind of gets them into a routine of um, tracking um, things and um, gives them uh, an opportunity to collaborate with their colleagues without, you know, having Excel files or whatever. So it's a little bit easier. And I think it's a it's a good tool, especially for um, for smaller um, companies and with uh, data scientists to start with. Um, but of course, when it comes into real productionization, you might consider um, for as an end-to-end tool something else.
0: Why? Hmm. Yeah. Why? Hmm. Ar- Artem's saying why?
3: Oh, you mean for MLflow as an end-to-end tool?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Oh, that's crazy. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I personally haven't seen it yet. And uh, I, I, I have seen clients using uh, data, uh, Databricks that is basically also built on top of yeah. MLflow and Delta Lake and uh, Spark. Um, but then when it comes to deploying, for example, they use something else. So it's just MLflow is still starting. So I don't know how it's going to be in like one or two years. But just for the current state, I personally wouldn't recommend it to a client to use as an end-to-end tool. Maybe it will develop towards that. And maybe Databricks is going to invest more into their um, MLflow enterprise solution or whatever you want to call that. But um, just for the current status,
0: I wouldn't. Just That's Great insight. Yeah, that is huge. And
1: I, I, I have another comment on this one. And, and uh, yeah, so, so for, first of all, how much data, uh, Kubernetes and data scientists need to know? I mean, it's important to not think about data scientists individually, because you rarely do something alone in a commercial setting. So it means that we, we that I think, that was the conclusion of the conversation what we had with Artem is that it's so great because it means that we, <laughs> you will going to be a, a core part of every machine learning team from now on. Um, and I think that's that's very important to understand that maybe the skill set is needed to perform machine learning, but maybe not in the same person. So that's one thing. The other thing is uh, deployment is usually an engineering subject. So it means that you don't really have a say in how a model will gonna go into production. And uh, um, most of the startups have, you know, five times larger engineering teams than data science teams. So it means that they will gonna have plenty of engineers who know Kubernetes, you know, DevOps guys who take care of that. So they spinning up some kind of API, putting a, um, a, a, a model in production, you know, that's a a native for them. So it means that they're not going to ask your opinion of how do you want to have your model in production.
0: Interesting. And that was, it triggers another question that I had around how much machine learning should the DevOps guys know, right? Not basically that whole question, but flipped on its head. How much Kubernetes should a data scientist know or how much machine learning should the DevOps guys know? If anyone How much has pickle?
2: the, the, the devops should, should know. What? What was that? How is of pickle? Subtle things should, should, should you know? <laughs> pickle and you know all this pytorch
1: packaging. And that's it. I I I can I can chime in on this one because um um, like. I think machine learning is like a cultural movement, or it's like zeitgeist. So it means that everyone has it on its head. So in a, you should be interested in from a cultural perspective. So it's it's this is going to be the biggest movement in like the next twenty years. It's the same as like internet computers in the last twenty years. So yeah, you you should yeah. know about it. But professionally, I I, I don't think so. I mean, uh, it's 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 too detailed, too. Um, you know abstract to for for someone who is not doing it professionally getting involved in you know what's the difference between a transformer model and an lstm you know does it really matters for an engineer you know apart from obviously an intellectual curiosity
2: but here here's this here's the problem that's uh currently on the market and in, in Lincoln, linkedin if you try to search uh for ml ops you will find just one or two or something at least in Europe. And everything is either data scientist, you like PyTorch models and all this uh, mathematics and uh, rocket science, or it's machine learning engineer who makes everything from developing like rather simple models and collecting data and deployment and everything. So it's like, is it full stack or something?
0: and we talk a lot about how the full stack data scientist doesn't actually exist and that is a unicorn that only comes up in five-year-old's dreams so i i find that funny like the the idea that you're going to have someone do all of this the more that i learn about ml ops personally the more i realize wow this is a full team it's really hard to find one person who's going to be able to take ownership of each piece of this and then do it well, right? Because maybe somebody will take ownership, but they're gonna they're gonna make everything go to hell, and then you you really have a pickle on your hands. So, the Paolo, did you want to say something? I yeah, see. You.
4: I think we should be able to. So we should know at least a tiny bit. Just to get to a point where we can speak with more experienced people and understand part of what they're trying to say. (laughs) We don't need to understand how to implement uh, Kubernetes Server from scratch, but we need to be able to talk with them to see where our model would fit. So it's like being a jack of all trades, master Mm -hmm.
0: of none. Yeah, like the, well, yeah, a lot of people talk about that T shape, right? (laughs) Being able to go deep in one, but know at least understand a lot. and cover a broad subject area? Well, I,
1: I, I think uh, w- what you see Artem in mean, the job descriptions is um, is a sign of where currently organizations are about uh, organizing their machine learning th- um, operations and MLOps mainly, You know, and, and the answer is nowhere. So it means that uh, uh, a lot of companies are still didn't wake up to the fact that um, Productionized machine learning is a very serious engineering subject, and and you need to treat it at the same level of uh, where DevOps is. Um, and I go, I think going forward, what's going to happen is um, this is going to be absorbed by um, DevOps because because every single company will do some kind of machine learning. Therefore, every DevOps team will need to have machine learning, you know, ever DevOps teams, not not doing machine learning themselves, mm. and. On the other hand, um, data scientists need to raise their skill level where they can interface with a DevOps team or a or a, or an analogs team part of a DevOps team. So it means that there is only going to be two type of people, and you kind of set, split the same way as probably DevOps and backend software engineering, or 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 frontend engineering. That, that that's going to be the same similar um, analogy, uh, because currently when you see these jobs, you know, some of the job requirements are not at the level where a production level machine learning engineer should be who can productively contribute to the bottom line. You know, that's mm-hmm. not, you know, um, um, pandas or scikit-learn level, you know, and a productionized machine learning system is, 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 is reviewed code, you know, you contribute in Git-like workflows, um you no know, that that's a that's a that's that's a that's a different level where you would look for um what what you would expect from a job job description
2: yeah but i just usually call it uh engineering culture so from my point of view yes uh devops uh will guys will learn some ml and become take take some job from us but uh data scientists they do really really cool stuff uh, but they did. I would not call it like raise the um, how did you call it uh, raise the skills, but um, like implementing more culture. Like m- when they when they start liking Git, when they start acknowledging that Git is is awesome, this will be the triggering <laughs> the
0: next level. Oh man, you are a dreamer. So <laughs> Artem is calling out. By 2025, data scientists are going to be appreciating how awesome Git is, huh? We'll, we'll put a date on it and say that they'll come back. The culture's going to change around it. I want to see it. I'm sure people in the comments, you can throw down how much money you want to bet on what side you are on. That's actually going to, you just inspired me to make a new post. Uh, yeah,
1: I, I I must come in and, and and say that I completely agree with the Artem. So it means that or Artem, sorry, um, it's it's engineering culture. But that's for most of the data scientists who are usually come from either a non-engineering background, so a scientific background, academic background, or business intelligence background. Um, you know, they need to adopt to this culture because because productionized machine learning requires you to be able to collaborate with an engineering culture and be productive. Because usually they, you know, um, talk in terms of, uh, you know, you are not here to create models, you're here to create business value, but your job, a productionized machine learning engineer is job is to create machine learning models and Mm. put them in the product and the ones which actually add value. You can only do that if you have engineering culture and engineering skills. And that's, you know, number one priority is love loving Git. Git. (laughs)
0: Loving Git. You heard it here first. Data scientists are going to love Git. (laughs) I laugh now, but maybe you're all going to be laughing at me for laughing because I agree with you that it needs to happen. I just wonder how hard that is going to be and if it's realistic that they're going that cultural shift is going to happen so we've taken a little bit of a detour off course from the engineering labs recap but i really appreciate where this conversation has gone and all of the insights that you've given us on the process i want to finish up with some final thoughts i know we are a few minutes over already so if you have to jump go ahead and do it or let me know but final thoughts on the whole process and the anything from the engineering lab to the organization i know artem's got a few things to say about that we've heard it already (laughs) he's giving me the look like no i'm I'm done i'm not going to talk about it but the the whole process the final final thoughts that you have i mean would you recommend it to people? Would you do it again? What do you got? And Paulo, can you give us, can you start us off?
4: Yeah, uh, I would do it again. Uh, I think I'm going to register for, for the next lab, unless I, I won't have time for that. I'll need to, to check depending on the topic and on the, the date. I think something that could be improved for the next lab would be to, to have some way of giving us cloud credits so we, would, we didn't need to use uh, our trial versions mm-hmm. or to have some common server on which we could all work on. So we don't need to find a way to, to work together from different places and with different machines. And that's nice. my my biggest suggestion besides the, the, the other thing that you mentioned of giving some more guidance in the beginning. But yeah, I, I highly recommend it.
0: That's right. AWS, GCP, Azure, if you're yeah. out there listening, as a nonprofit we would love... you
4: can actually register. So, the Damilov's community is officially a nonprofit, right? Uh, yeah. You can you can register for some cloud credits, but they take like 30 days to to answer you. But say
0: you can try. Right. We'll see if we can pull some strings. Or if somebody out there listening can Sponsor the video or the next engineering labs, and we can get some of those credits. All right, Demi, final thoughts.
3: I really liked it. I'm looking forward for the next one. Um, how Paul already mentioned, I think having a, a just kind of provider that gives us some credit to use all one platform is easier. Otherwise, you are very restricted in a way. Um, but besides that, it was it was very nice to collaborate with everybody. Um, I really appreciated that. Different thoughts, different ways of solving problems. Um, I think this is the cool thing about MLOps uh, in general, anyway, in the community. So, yeah.
0: Excellent. Artem, what do you got to say about our organization? <laughs> Here comes the <laughs> yeah. real feedback. What do you yeah, got yeah. for us, man?
2: Uh, I have like the advice to. Our future, us future, and the future um, labbers, lab participants, uh, have have a common call, have a common like beer session as fast as as quick as possible. Get know each other, and like this will make this much much more more fun. Um, yeah, and also I wanted, wanted to add, uh, Dimitris, I uh, listened to the uh, the coffee session of the first the team one. And you said the the thing that uh, I was not expecting that this labs initiative is going to grow uh, to something like Kaggle for MLOps. And I think this is awesome. This is this will rock. Whoa. So good, good luck to all of us for this.
0: <laughs> we'll see if, if that vision can be realized, but that's what we want to do. And we also want to do so that everyone out there who's listening knows, if there is anyone listening after this hour and 15 minutes of us blabbing on, but the main thing that we want to do next, and we're trying to work with a few people in the community, Um, Mark specifically, who was working at the UN, we want to have a access to data and we want to do things for good. We don't want to just do random pet projects anymore. Uh, I think it was an Awesome start. The first one was incredible that we did this. We got to see where where we lacked and and how people responded to it, but what we want to do is find a way to take all of our expertise and use it for good so that even when we finish the labs, the product stays around and it can be useful for maybe an NGO or uh, potentially the UN. We'll see if we can go on that big of a scale. But that is the idea. And doing it in a Kaggle fashion is is another grand vision that Yvonne has. We'll see how that all plays out. It's we're gonna have to be very patient because as we all know right now, only 16 people signed up and eight finished. So The next one, hopefully more will sign up. Everyone will tell their friends. I mean, that's part of the reason that we are having these sessions so that people can know what to expect when they sign up. Uh, Last thing, maybe Laszlo, you can finish it off with some final thoughts on how much time you spent on this and how much so that people can have a realistic expectation of what to expect when they are coming into the lab? Was this something that you dedicated an hour to a week or was this a full on side hustle, 20 hours a week? What were you doing?
1: Um, maybe the other guys are better positioned to answer this question. It was on my mind a lot. And especially after the, um, the final result was handed in, um, I, I spend a lot of time reading the code and understanding of, um, of how actually it works because I'm not too familiar with Kubernetes. Um, and it was very good for that purpose that now I have a, you know, I know what it's supposed to do and I can read it. And now I know that this part is corresponding to that function or uh, something like that. So even if I can't do it myself, I can follow someone else's work. And I think that's a very important, you know, familiarization technique with uh, um, usually in the community because there's just so many things you'd want to learn about. As we progress with future labs, there is. They're going to be more templates on what the next teams can use, so they don't need to start from zero. So I think they they're going to have a bit of a kickstart or or a lower threshold to get to some productionized system, and that's a very important feature in in this um, um, event.
0: Yeah, you all are building the foundation. You're just laying the groundwork right now, and hopefully we can work off of that and stand on the shoulders of giants so folks thank you so much for coming on here and giving us your feedback and telling us what you went through how it was what you did with ml flow what you did with the data sets the process of choosing the actual problem that you want to solve and then the process of being with three strangers and yourself right and having to work with them and how that was so i love it i really appreciate you all coming, and sharing your time with me and we will see everyone next time for more coffee sessions with no coffee
1: <laughs> thank you thank you guys thank you guys thank you, Goodbye. you.
4: Goodbye. thank you bye